Hello and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I'm your host, Sarah, and I've got my co-host, Darcy, with me. Darcy, how you doing? Hey, I'm doing all right. It's getting to that point in Alabama where, like, it's so hot that my air conditioner can't keep up. No. So it's like, I mean, it's, it's not like burning up inside my house. It's just hotter than I would like it to be, and I'm just... I don't like being hot. So well, that's not good. Kind of in, yeah, it's it's one of those where you're just like, Bleh. I'm so I'm over it. I'm over the heat already. It's just not great because it's just May. Well, we're in Florida, so it's pretty hot yeah. here. <laughs> um, and I'm in a hotel, so forgive the poor sound quality. Um, had to record impromptu. So yeah. Um, okay, we got some updates first, right? Yes. So we had some really good timing when we recorded our Vicky and Casey White episode, because I think the day after we posted that episode is when they were caught. Craziness, right? Um, and so, yes. And so just a little bit more, like as the week has gone by, there's just more information coming out. Um, and it basically sounds like Vicky was the one that planned the whole thing. Which is surprising so, because... When we looked at this case, it really looked like, you know, he kind of manipulated her and like she helped him. But like, this is crazy. She looks like she planned the whole damn thing. It's crazy. Yeah. And so the Lauderdale County Sheriff said that like all she of her coworkers were devastated. That was like she the, was the day of her retirement, right? Um, yeah. She submitted her paperwork to retire on that day. Like it hadn't been... Filed, so she wasn't officially retired in the system, and then they since they since obviously fired her. But so, if you aren't aware yet, they were caught in Evansville, Indiana. Um, and I've actually been to Evan, uh, driven through Evansville. Um, and they were caught when somebody saw them. They ditched the Ford Edge, which we already knew about. That was towed before we even found out that they were in that car. Um, and then they were in a Ford F-150 that that was also left at hmm. one of those like okay. self-use car washes. Cadillac, right? And then they, from there they got into, I believe it, yeah, it's a Cadillac. I believe it's like a little two-door, it's like a, it's a cute little Cadillac. Um, and then they got into that. And so they were staying at a motel four or something i forget the name of the brand it's like a motel anyway, they're staying kind of in a motel thing, right? and yes and so and an off-duty officer actually saw the car that the, the cadillac and so he they set they set up surveillance and everything and they saw her getting out leaving the hotel room and getting into the car with him and then they ended up in a car chase and the u.s marshals actually rammed their car causing a wreck and Vicky wow. White shot herself in the head um, at that time. And there's a there's a recording of nine of her on the phone with nine one one, or there was a co- recording of nine one one where she could be heard saying she has a gun to her head and her fingers on the tra- trigger. And when they re- when they recovered her remains at the in oh the my car, gosh. her finger was still on the trigger. That's crazy. Yeah. So. Um, Kate, Casey White, his whole his whole plan was to shoot it out with the authorities, like we talked about, because we had mentioned before that he that you know we thought she was going to be in danger because he said he wanted to die by suicide by cop. 
So his plan was to, to shoot it out with the authorities, but the, because of the way that the marshals hit their car, it like actually ended up preventing him from being able to have the shootout. But they found an AR-15, oh rifles, pistols, all of this stuff in the car. So he is now arrested. He was ready. And and they found all of that in the car, and he is he was since arrested. He had no injuries from Some the Some minor car. stuff I heard, but nothing serious. Okay. Yeah. And then... Um, He's been extradited back to Alabama, so now he is back in the prison where he was before he was at the Lauderdale County Jail for the charges wow. for the 2015 murder. Yeah. I so, wonder if she has some, some kind of a terminal illness or something. Like, why would she do that? There's, that's the thing. Is that there's just no indication of why she would do this. And it sounds, as more information comes out, it sounds like she was the one that planned the entire thing. You know, she was the one that sold her house for less than half the value she bought the cars and cash and obviously she had to plan a lot of it because he was in prison it's not like he could plan that much but it sounds like she was the mastermind too you know and when he got when he got out of the car he said please help my wife he called her his wife and they don't have any further information about that about like if they were legally married because she was widowed so they don't I don't think there's anything legally, you know, but maybe they had some kind of romantic arrangement where they called each other husband and wife or something. Sure. I don't know. But they were definitely in a romantic relationship. Yeah. Yes. Very, very bizarre. Um, yeah. I don't know. She was the assistant director of corrections at the Lauderdale County Jail in Florence, mm-hmm. Alabama. Mm-hmm. So I guess this was like a huge sensation. There's a got a ton of TV coverage. Yeah. And they were gone for, what, 12 days? Yeah. I mean, but the coverage, I think, was primarily because prison escapes are not common. No. I don't know if you're aware of that, but they happen and only, like, less than 1% of prisoners escape custody. Like, every now and then I'll see a headline that's like, somebody escaped from something, something, jail, and then, like, three hours later they're caught. Like, that's usually kind of how I think I expected this to go. Yeah. And then escapes from someone helping you from the inside are even more rare. Yeah. According to statistics. Um, and then Vicki White's relationship with Casey White also mm-hmm. highlights kind of a reality of how things work within jails. Um, inmates and correctional officers often form these very personal bonds mm-hmm. because of the close nature of what, how they're working, right? Sure. Um, and these relationships can be healthy for some people. But they also have the potential to develop into abusive situations because of the control that the officers have over the prisoners. Right. And so this is a problem in, in some of the prisons that researchers are starting to call out now. So that's interesting that they say that it can be healthy for some people. That's what it says. That's interesting. So it says one of the bigger difficulties with something like corrections is that there's an important boundary that has to be established between inmates and correctional officers, but it's important to keep a human connection as well. Hmm. You don't want to treat inmates poorly, but you don't want to step over certain boundaries either, according to professors that have researched this issue. So it's like a fine line. Yeah. So authorities believe Vicki helped Casey escape from jail. But by falsely claiming she was taking him for a court appearance, we already kind of covered that. Um, But the investigation that ensued revealed that correctional official, that she was having a romantic relationship with Casey again, which is Mm -hmm. something that we covered. And she gave him preferential treatment. Sexual relationships, though, between guards and inmates are illegal, just so you know. 
Yeah. If you didn't already, I mean, it seems like that would be a, a no brainer, but um, nonetheless, it's the lines are still blurred many, many times. Um, and they're also considered abuse because inmates mm-hmm. cannot legally give sexual consent due mm-hmm. to the power that correctional officers have over them. They are a protected population and for like a lot of things. Like I know when you're talking about doing research with human subjects, prison, like you have to take all these courses that tell you like you can't, you, you can't work with children without getting a parent's consent. You can't do this, right. that, and the other, you know, and you can't, and prisoners are a protected population in that sense because it can be seen that you're putting undue influence on them right. by saying like you, by making them feel like they have to participate in your research. And it's the same thing with yeah. the military. Yeah. By, by basically saying, like, not saying, but saying without saying that you have to participate in this or your superiors want you to participate in this. Or, right. Yeah, so you have to be really careful with prison populations. So it also says that this was an interesting little tidbit. Female prisoners obviously suffer more sexual assaults mm-hmm. and harassment by guards than men do. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> However... A study by the U.S. Bureau of Prisons found that the female correctional staff members commit more than half of all sexual assaults that are investigated. Really? So the study found about 545 cases between 2009 and 2011 in both federal and state prisons and local jails. And more than 90% of the victims were male inmates. And 85% of the cases had investigators um, saying that the victims were willing or appeared to be willing. Mm -hmm. Because I think that that's, again, that issue with, and I think that's the same sort of thing when te- when teachers abuse students, right? Yeah. Like, it's just looked at differently when a male teacher abuses a female student versus a female teacher abusing a male student. For some kind of reason, society just looks at those things different. And I think it's kind of the same thing when you're analyzing prison populations, mm-hmm. right? But it seems as though the numbers are definitely supporting sort of the placing that yeah men are actually suffering a lot of assaults from their correctional officers yeah it's it's like there's like a fallacy that that men are not opposed to like like that that men basically don't ever that they are willing participants all of the time in any kind of sexual that exactly like like that they're always providing consent like that's and, and that's, I mean, that's not, that's not true. That's just simply not true. And I'm sure there's probably stigma um, if a male mm-hmm. chooses not to consent in that kind of a thing as right. well. And you're going to get razzed by your fellow prisoners and things of that nature as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I guess because of Vicky's status as a manager, she had the authority to transport inmates by herself. Mm-hmm. So they're not really clear as to whether there were staffing issues that played a part in this. Um, but there are some significant um, staffing shortages across prisons in the United States. So you're finding situations where um, inmates are spending a lot more one-on-one time with their correctional officers just because Mm -hmm. of simple staffing issues, not being able to get enough staff. And and in that particular case, and Vicki and Casey White, like we did discuss, and and I did read an article that said that she basically did plan the timing of it to where she was going to take him after the two vans of prisoners already left. Mm Mm-hmm. So deliberately, she planned to be alone with him. And she also knew that the person working like behind the desk, the clerk, was not going to say anything because she had such a high position. And I think that also plays a part in these either prison escapes or abuse by correctional officers. So they had guns, about $30,000 in cash and wigs in the car with them, right? Mm -hmm. So where do you think they were going? 
I have no idea. I know that they that that he has said that they were going to try and lay low in Indiana for a few days and try and figure out where they were going. I'm not sure that they actually had a plan past that's just wild getting to Tennessee. Like I don't I don't know, but it's clear because they had. She she had ninety thousand dollars cash on her, and they only and they found them with thirty thousand. So it's clear that like cash doesn't go that far yeah. when you're you know what I mean. So so, uh, but they but they pay for the hotel or the motel room, but for like a week or something right. in advance. And they also paid um, an unhomed person to use that person's identity to get the motel room and that person's name. Yeah. Though, interestingly enough, though, the vast majority of escapees are caught within the first month. And it sort of fits into, like, a pattern of escape. Month is, like, such a long window. Like It is. I feel like it's, like, within a day most of the time, at least the ones I hear about. So this particular facility where Vicky and Casey were was pretty small. It had a total population Mm -hmm. of about 233 and booked about 5,000 prisoners a year. So smaller prisons have easier chances or better chances of escape for the most right part. and this was a jail and right. not a prison because he was in a prison outside of birmingham and he was transferred to this jail it would and jail and prisons jails and prisons are different if you don't know jails where you go to await sentencing or trial or if you're serving under right. a year um and he was in this jail in florence and florence is not a big town but five thousand. 5,000 um, arrests a year, or bookings a year is kind of interesting. And that's because, I think it's probably because there's a university yeah. um, in So Florence. these smaller jails and facilities are less secure and they don't have perimeter fencing that would typically be in maximum secure facilities. So it obviously makes it easier to right. escape, right? So you had some other cases somewhat similar. You had Joyce Mitchell. She was convicted of helping the two convicted killers, David Sweat and Richard Matt. I think we talked about that. Yes, that's the that's the Dana Moore. And that happened in 2015. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that was by sneaking in materials like guns and ammunition, a compass and camping gear for these guys to use when they got out of the facility. So I guess this woman, Joyce Mitchell, had a romantic relationship with multiple inmates. Um, Casey White, as we mentioned earlier, was serving a 75 year sentence. Um, and he could face the death penalty if he's convicted in this case yes. for these additional charges that come along with the escape. Well, he was already facing the death penalty because it was he he what he confessed to is a capital murder. Yeah. So charge. this is definitely going to put so, another nail in his coffin, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the prosecutors are not likely to go easy on him after but this. This is definitely definitely going to highlight the issues with the relationships between correctional officers and inmates. And I think it's going to provide a, a lot more kind of a cautionary tale. And they're definitely probably going to tighten regulations in many prisons because of this case. Right. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there's a lot of people though, that are saying, you know, we don't want to dissuade jail inmates and prison officials from having social relationships because that's kind of what helps people survive on the inside. But, you know, correctional officers are people that come into contact with incarcerated people more than anyone else. So they really have the ability mm-hmm. to help with resocialization um, that happens in prisons and jails to help them get out on the outside and be able to have normal relationships. But when you've got the dehumanization involved and other things mm-hmm. of that nature, then you have problems. Or if you have the 
ability for people to get away with having relationships that are inappropriate. So. Right. And they are in a position of authority. So they are in a position to abuse that. So I guess that's something that a lot of researchers are looking at now, particularly given the couple Mm -hmm. of very high profile cases that have come out recently. That's interesting. Yeah, it is for sure. Um, The other update we have is for the Brittany Drexel case, which we covered Brittany Drexel um, August 8th, 2021. It's episode 139. And okay. it's just an incredibly sad, sad case about a young woman that went to went on vacation and disappeared and has never been seen since. This is the one that was not supposed to go to South Carolina. Is that correct? Correct. Okay. She told her mom she was going to stay in town and go to the lake with her friends. And she yeah. ended up secretly going on this vacation with the girls that she was not super close with. Right. But a man has been named a person of interest in her 2009 disappearance at Myrtle Beach. He's been arrested in Georgetown County. His name is Raymond Moody, and he's 62 years old, and he was booked into the Georgetown County Detention Center on May 4th and Mm. charged with obstructing justice. No bail has been set in this one. He's still incarcerated as of last week and has been named a person of interest in the case in 2012, but hasn't been arrested until now for this. Interesting. But what's also interesting is it's not really clear whether this arrest is in connection with the Drexel case or if it's something else. Oh. He, it just happens to be a coincidence that he's been brought into custody and they're not really making it clear whether it's because of the Drexel case right. or something else because he clearly is a career criminal, right? Drexel was 17 years old when she went missing. She had been visiting the area with friends from New York when she was on this trip. She walked out of the Blue Water Resort. At around 8.15 in the evening, her phone gave off signals April 26, 2009 in Georgetown County. Police believe that she was abducted a day after she came to Myrtle Myrtle Beach. FBI agents previously said they suspected the Rochester teen had been held against her will for several days before she was killed in the McClellanville area. Oh my gosh. So FBI officials said witnesses reported that Drexel's body was put into a gator pit on the property and then she's never been found. Right. Um, the case has been featured on a lot of podcasts and it's been on a lot of shows on TV as well. But hopefully this means that they're kind of coming to some closure in this and are going to solve this case. Yeah. And I mean, it, so it, it could be that he has been arrested for obstruction of justice and like finding her body or something like that. But it, but we just don't know that that's true yet. We just know he's been arrested for obstruction of no. justice. And officials are keeping this very close to the vest. And that's not surprising, given that there were numerous individuals involved in this case that have been named persons of interest and numerous people pointing the finger at other people and mm-hmm. dozens of witnesses involved in this case. So they don't want to either scare people off or provide too much information so that people can find excuses and get themselves out of being right. named in this case. But I hope they find her killers and yeah. put them away for a very long time. This is a 17-year-old girl yeah. who was abused terribly, they believe, before she was killed and possibly fed to Elliot. I mean, just I can't even imagine. It's just horrific Horrifying. being her family and, and not knowing and, and believing that that kind of an end came to this poor young woman. Yeah. Okay. So just as we like, we're about ready to wrap up this episode. <laughs> literally signed um, off. <laughs> literally another article came up for Brittany Drexel and I yeah. guess they found her remains. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Just wild. This article just came out today. 
Um, I guess the remains of Brittany Drexel were found on May 11th in Georgetown, South Carolina. Oh, okay. So five days ago. Yeah. She was visiting the area from Rochester, as we mentioned earlier. Media swarmed to Georgetown County last week following the reported arrest of Raymond Moody, Mm -hmm. who previously was named a person of interest in Drexel's disappearance. Moody has been charged with murder, kidnapping, and criminal sexual assault in the first degree. Um, 62-year-old Moody was also charged with obstruction of justice, a charge authorities declined to confirm was related to the Drexel case. But the offense date listed for the charge was April 25th, 2009. This was the same date Drexel was reported missing. Interesting. Right? So numerous media outlets reported late last week law enforcement officials combing through a wooded area with heavy equipment on the outskirts of Georgetown County was some reporting human remains were found. Authorities have declined to confirm the reports at this time, but the Georgetown County Sheriff's Office held a press conference um, today confirming that Drexel's remains have been found and that Moody was responsible for her disappearance and death. Wow. Wow. Where did it happen? How did it happen? And why? People want to know. Right. That may never be understood. The Sheriff's County has also confirmed that. They don't know that they're going to be able to get reasoning behind any of this, but... Moody, I guess, is a sex offender with an extensive criminal background. He was previously, uh, he previously served half of a 40-year sentence beginning in 1983 with convictions for criminal sexual conduct with minors in California. Um, the police also said the charges were being brought against Moody are for murder, kidnapping, and criminal sexual conduct in the mm. first degree, all occurring within the jurisdictional limits of Georgetown County. Charges against Raymond Moody are made possible through investigative findings and evidence that led us to the possible site where Raymond Moody buried a deceased Brittany Drexel on or around April the 26th, 2009, according to police. So that was the day that she went missing? Yes, she was reported missing. The Drexels, um, Dawn and Chad, spoke at the press conference and shared thanks to law enforcement agencies involved in the case. They also shared a few words about how their family is about to embark on a new chapter of their grieving process. This really is a mother's worst nightmare, said Mm -hmm. her mother. Um, I am mourning my beautiful daughter currently, and I have been for 13 years, but today is bittersweet. We are much closer to the closure in in this case, and we have been desperately hoping for an end to this. Dawn said that she has not strayed from talking about her daughter's case, and she intends to speak again at some point. Dawn said that a celebration of life will be held for their daughter in Rochester, New York, where the Drexel family lives, and in Myrtle Beach. Specific Mm -hmm. details related to exactly how Moody was found to be guilty have yet to be released. Local and federal law enforcement agencies, including the FBI, have long sought and followed leads related to Drexel's disappearance. They believe they'd made a big break in the case in in 2016 when jailhouse informants told investigators they'd seen her at a stash house in Georgetown County and then being abused as part of a human trafficking scheme. And then there also were numerous reports about her being fed to alligators, but it sounds like that's not the case. They found her remains. And it sounds like, because I think previously they had thought that she had been held for a while, but it doesn't sound like that's the case either. No. So, I mean, maybe. I guess it's possible. I guess we will tune in and find out. But incredible, incredible. They have found Brittany Drexel. Um, Again, that's a case that we followed. Go ahead. I was just going to ask what the date of his arrest was. Do we know? He was booked on May 4th. So Raymond Moody was arrested May 4th and charged with obstructing justice. Hmm. And they didn't say what it was related to at that point. But now it is clear that it's related to Brittany Drexel. But wild, huh? 
So a week before they find her remains, they arrest him. So I, it does sound like maybe he provided some information at that point. Or but they we don't had know that a good for sure. lead and they just didn't have enough evidence. I yeah. don't know. But like, I'm sure that the more will continue to unfold wow. as this case like it expands and charges flow through. I am very glad that they were able to find her remains because we were both under the impression that that was not likely. So I'm glad that they are able to get that closure and they are able to have that evidence for the trial. Wild, wild, wild case, folks. Um, That was the Brittany Drexel case was something that we covered on the podcast August 8th, 2021, episode 139. So if you want to hear the full story about Brittany Drexel, Go listen to that episode, episode 139. But speaking of poor young woman, (laughs) I've got the main case for today and I'm going to kind of jump right into it. It's one that I heard about quite a while ago, um, but recently heard, well, somewhat recently heard another podcast on it and was just really fascinated by the case. But this is the murder of Jaina Murray. It's also called the Lululemon murder. Oh, that's that's the name I know. Yeah. Yeah. So Friday, March 11th, 2011, employees at the Apple store in Bethesda, Maryland, heard banging noises. And so they called security to come in and take a look. The building was a two-story location with multiple retail stores. And one of them was a Lululemon store. The employees at the Apple store heard occasionally screams, grunts, bangs, and other noises for a while without anyone actually going next door to check out what was going on which I don't understand that. Screaming, you hear screaming and you don't call the police? So, okay, I was gonna say, I do understand not going to check on it myself. I don't understand not calling mall security or police or somebody else. Okay, here's the deal. I do believe they did call mall security, but because the location is so kind of, it was upscale, Uh they just didn't think anything was wrong, is what Hmm. I heard. So they heard at one point, God help me, please help me, and then silence. Jesus. So nearly an hour later at 11 p.m., see, I do believe they called security. I don't believe they called the police. Gotcha. Which just blows my mind, right? I mean, it's weird that I would think, sorry to to interrupt, but I would think like if I'm an employee at the Apple store and I call mall security, I'm thinking they're checking it out or they're calling police. Like I'm kind of thinking my role is, is over. But yeah. I don't, I don't know. Like it's, yeah. yeah. I don't know. It's, it's hard to Monday morning quarterback exactly. this type of a situation. But in any case, the last employee from the Apple store left at around 11 PM. Um, and none of them called the police, as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, and no one has any idea what's actually going on next door. Mm-hmm. But it was quiet so Friday, by the time the last employee left. Yes. Okay. Yes. So Friday, March 11th, Jaina Murray, she's a salesperson and supervisor at Lululemon. She is approximately 30 years old and she doesn't normally work on Fridays, but she swapped shifts with another employee. And there's release of this new iPod 2 or iPad 2 at the Apple store. They knew it was gonna be generating a lot of extra traffic. Mm -hmm. And so they had an extra person come in to assist and and they know it's gonna be busy. And Jaina's like, okay, I can do this. And she's been working at the Bethesda location for about two years, so she's kind of an old pro. Mm-hmm. She's 5'5", five five, and she has kind of this athletic build and an outgoing personality. She's super friendly. She arrives early for her shift and gets paperwork done in the back of the store. 
as well as some schoolwork mm-hmm. that she's trying to get done ahead of time because she knows her boyfriend is coming into town. Evidently, he lived in Seattle, and she wanted to be able to hang out with him when he was there without schoolwork to distract her, so she was kind of getting ahead in her schoolwork. Mm-hmm. She was working on a master's degree in business administration. Hmm. So she's a, a smart girl. She's athletic. She's attractive. She's very friendly. I mean, she sounds like she's got a lot going for her. Yeah. She really liked Lululemon and their business model, and she was doing her thesis on the business. And she was also really kind of helping out by doing things like a crisis emergency plan for Lululemon. She was hoping that she could score a job at the Lululemon headquarters in Seattle when she graduated. Oh, so it kind of served okay. two purposes, right? She'd get this awesome job for a company that she loved working for, right. and she'd be closer to her boyfriend. Sure. So, And Seattle's a pretty sweet I do city, like Seattle. So. So there's a lot of good things going on about that. So then you have Brittany Norwood, and she's 28, and she's also a fellow employee at Lululemon, and she's scheduled to work that day as well, starting at about 3 p.m. And she kind of has a busy day. She goes and gets her nails done and does some other things with some friends. She had actually transferred from another store, and she'd only been at the Bethesda location for a few weeks, so she's pretty new. Okay. She was described as being very friendly and outgoing and easily making friends wherever she went, which it sounds like these two girls were very kind of similar mm-hmm. in their personalities. And that's what I think Lululemon looked for in their employees. They wanted outgoing, friendly, personable people to run the registers and just help in the store. I think right? that's what most retail places look for, which is why I am not suited to work in retail. Yes, me either. <laughs> So Brittany also wanted to use her position at the store as a springboard and hers was to become a personal trainer and she wanted to eventually open up her own gym. So she's really athletic as well. It's my understanding that she played soccer in college and she got a scholarship to play soccer. So she had to have been pretty good. Yeah. Um, She had scored an interview for later that week at a local gym and she was like, Hey, my career is about to explode. This is awesome. I'm in a super good mood. So there are normally three employees working at the registers on Fridays, especially because this is a very busy time. And then there was Mm -hmm. supposed to be this Apple release, Mm -hmm. right? But they only had two that night. So it's just Brittany and Jaina. So the store closes at about 9 p.m. And Jaina and Brittany start closing out. And they count all the money. They do all the typical closing activities, set the alarm, and lock the doors. Mm -hmm. And that's all stuff that you can track. Right, because you can tell mm-hmm. what time they turned the security alarm on, etc. And nothing was out of place with that. But by 9.45, the two women were done, and they said their goodbyes and went their separate ways. But the following morning, the usual store opener gets to the store at 8 a.m. and finds out that the door is unlocked. So she's like, uh-oh, this is not good. And she just kind of assumes that Jaina had forgotten to lock the door. Uh-huh. And she was, like, going to reprimand her for it but because it was not something that Jaina normally did. Right. But then she walks inside of the store and sees that there are clothes and mannequins all over the place. There's a TV broken. And there's basically a stuff thrown all over the store. There are also bloody shoe prints. And she's like, nope. She steps out and calls yeah. 911. Absolutely. Which is the right thing to do. Yeah. Don't want to investigate in that kind of situation. So a guy that had been sitting nearby offers to go in and kind of make sure that there's no one in there that needs help. And her name is Rachel, this manager that had showed up early to open the store. And she's like, okay, go ahead, go inside. I'm going to wait out here and and deal with 911. I mean, I I guess that's kind of nice of him. But also, I'd be like, you offered that mighty quick. Yeah. 
You know I, I don't mean? know. I guess he had been sitting there and he was waiting for the Apple store to open or something of that nature. And he'd been there the previous evening and hadn't okay. gotten what he wanted. Something like that. Okay. But he goes into the store and sees a pool of blood by the back exit to the store. And he finds a body laying face down, <gasps> propped against the door. Which, yeah, horrific. There's blood splatter everywhere. And there's a rope around, it's a woman, and it's a rope around her neck and a toolbox nearby. And so the the tool, the bloody tools are laying around as well. And he's like, yep, nope, something's seriously wrong here. He runs back outside and on his way, he sees some legs in the hallway and he finds another woman laying face up with hands and feet tied with zip ties. And she's got various wounds and bruising and all kinds of stuff going on with her too. Is she dead? He doesn't know. Okay. But he's like, the police arrive quickly and they determine right away that Jaina Murray is dead. And she had been dead for quite a while. Okay. Brittany Norwood was the other woman and she was actually still alive. Okay. So that's, so, so he ran in there to see if anybody else needed help, but then didn't help Brittany. No. Okay. Well, I think he saw that what, you know, what was going on and didn't want to ruin the crime scene. Yeah. I guess evidently she also had like a, a rip in the crotch of her pants oh. along with a whole bunch of other wounds and the zip ties and all that kind of stuff. And he's like, dude, I'm not qualified to right. handle this. And he can't tell if she's dead or alive. And it's just like, I don't want to, I, I okay. can't be getting involved in this. But in any case, um, they take her immediately to get medical help. Police can see that there's been a violent struggle the night mm-hmm. before. And the register was open as well as the two safes, leading police to believe that a robbery was the primary motive here. And the Apple employee report, I'm sure they've gotten by this point. Yes. Right. So Brittany has a bunch of wounds to her stomach, chest, and legs, and she eventually regains consciousness. She's got defensive wounds to her hands. She's got a gash on her forehead and glass embedded in her back. Oh, God. But she was awake enough to tell police what happened and reported that the two women had closed the store around 945, which is in line with where the alarm was set and all that good stuff. And they had done that as usual, but then Brittany found that she had left her wallet in the store. So she had to call Jaina because she didn't have the keys. Jaina had the keys. Okay. So both women ended up going back to the store. And evidently, Jaina had left her laptop there, too. So the two agreed to go back and meet at the store and pick up their respective things, right? Okay. So both of them get back to the Lululemon store around 10, and they unlock the door and turn the alarm off at that time. Is that also, like, in the... Yes, Time so stamps it was all time stamped and, and, okay. and evidence that could be proven, right? Okay. So Brittany could not find her wallet, she said. And the two women searched briefly and then ended up giving up. I guess Jana gave Brittany her Metro card so she could ride the subway to get home. Uh-huh. But as they go to leave, they realize they hadn't locked the door behind them. And there is a man in all black with gloves and a mask who'd entered the store after them. Uh... So evidently he immediately hit Jaina with a metal bar in the head. And then a second similarly dressed man appeared. He grabbed Brittany, cutting her in the process and dragging her to the bathroom where he allegedly kind of spewed a bunch of racial slurs. So I think Brittany was a woman of color okay. and he was calling her names and he threw her to the ground in the process and he slit her yoga pants as well. Evidently, he, she claims that she was raped in that process as well. And then he hit her over the head in the process and she was kind of drifting in and out as the assault continued. Okay. So 
At some point, he commands Brittany to open the register. And as she goes towards the front of the store, she reportedly hears Gina screaming as she's being assaulted as well. And then it's silent. And she thinks that that's when Jada lost consciousness. Okay. So evidently the two men were kind of of average build with one man being a little taller. She thinks one of them is around six feet and the other one was around five, 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 five. Yeah. That's she also shorter. Yeah. Same build, but just different height. Hmm. She also guessed that they were young and white because of the way they were talking. Okay. She said she hadn't seen any of their features though, because they were wearing masks and not okay. masks like COVID masks, but like full, like, like full on face mask. Yeah. So Brittany evidently was hysterical and she blamed herself because she kept saying, you know, if I hadn't gone back to get my wallet, none of this would have ever happened and so forth. And her account helped police piece together what happened to the two women. And they also start looking at the bloody footprints in the store. Mm -hmm. Brittany says one of them is from her as her attacker is leading her around the store and that the other set of footprints is from her attacker. And it was a size 14 men's shoe. So this seemed very plausible. Okay. Supposedly, the men had watched and used the opportunity when they saw the women re-enter the store and forget to lock the door. And it was just kind of a crime of opportunity for them, and they grabbed them. Which doesn't make sense, really. They're ready to kind of rob a store and have masks and gloves yeah, and all that kind of like, stuff, like at the drop of the hat. I mean, I guess it's like, if you are if you just go to a mall, like, and you're waiting to rob a store, like... It just seems kind of Maybe? But... I don't know. But also a size 14 shoe. That's a big shoe. It's a big shoe. Yeah, it's big. That's a big guy. It's bigger than six foot. Yeah. So Lululemon offers a reward of about $125,000 for a tip that would lead to the capture of these two perpetrators. Mm -hmm. Descriptions to the best of what Brittany could provide were given to authorities and the, basically the police pleaded with the public to help them solve this crime. Interestingly enough, there were no cameras in the Lululemon store, which I don't think that's really anymore. But at that time, there were no cameras in the store. That is shocking, considering the value of Lululemon clothing. Yes. Well, <laughs> I'm pretty sure they have on now, especially yeah. after this kind of incident. But there were cameras outside of the store, and they were pointing towards the Apple store in the parking lot. Okay. And they reviewed the footage from that and found that a little after 11 p.m., two men entered the camera, just as described. After 11 p.m.? Yeah. Okay. So this is two darkly dressed men kind of fitting the description on camera. So they're like, we got them. Okay. But there was not a clear view of the, their faces. All right. So then another lead comes in the next day. Jaina's car was found a few blocks from the store. So police thought that maybe the attackers had put it there on purpose. Um, evidently the car had been seen the previous evening by some kind of a security guard or police officer or something but there weren't a lot of details there. So they hmm. saw the car and kind of reported that he had seen it and looked at it, but didn't think anything was wrong. And two hours he'd seen it was still there with somebody sitting in the car. Oh. And then he sees it another hour later and it's empty with the lights off. But okay. he didn't go closer, didn't observe who was in the car. That seems so, like a poor job by that security person. But, you know, if they're not doing anything wrong, not doing right, anything illegal, like, then... I think if I went to the mall and just, like, <laughs> sat in my car for a couple hours and then... It's not at the mall. My... It, was a few mo- it was a few, like, blocks away. Oh. So, again, it's kind of like a, a iffy kind of a thing, right? Okay, yeah. 
But police believe that whoever murdered Gina may have been in the car that night. Yeah. So, but it's a safe neighborhood, right? So no one is thinking, you know, some random crime like this is going to happen. But a lot of tips are still coming in. And some of them lead to this 40-year-old man um, named Keith Lockett, who has been known to be in the area. And they think he might be involved. Okay. He has gotten drunk and belligerent many times um, to women in the area. And there, there are a lot of women in, this, in the area that are afraid of him. So he's like a, a known <laughs> person. Yeah, he has a history of robbery and assault. Yikes. And he's been seen with some strange men in the area around the time of this attack. Okay. Incidentally, they find him at a nearby hospital. Uh. So he's being treated for some wounds to his face. And his clothes are stained with blood. Really? Yeah. So police immediately test the blood on his clothes. Yeah. And in the meantime, though, Keith is like, hey, I had nothing to do with this attack. I'm, I'm innocent. I didn't do anything wrong. This is blood from a completely separate attack? Yeah. Yeah. Evidently, though, these two men that he was supposedly with were known to have been responsible for a string of nearby robberies, etc. And he claims he'd seen the two, but had no connection to them. And he was like, I had nothing to do with this, but I saw one of these two known men yeah. grab Brittany and Jaina. Uh, so then he's making it sound like he saw the attack happen. And they're like, well, how could that be if you said you weren't anywhere near this when it happened? Right. right. Keith seems off, though. And he admits that he has significant mental health issues that require medication. And he's not altogether there. Okay. And his story keeps changing numerous times. And they do find that the blood on his clothes was his own. And there was absolutely nothing linking him to this attack at the Lululemon store. Which, it's like, he's kind of a red herring, right? He pops up, he's Literally. got blood, he's got the injuries, they're like, oh, maybe he's involved, and then, no, he's not. And his so, story's, like, not making any sense. No. Huh. No. Which is interesting, right? Yeah. So, there's simultaneously, simultaneously, there's an autopsy going on for Jaina. Mm-hmm. And they initially thought she'd been in a car accident when they brought her in because her face and scalp were so injured. Holy cow. There were stab wounds all over her face, neck, and chest, and it was very concerning. Her pants had also been cut open at the crotch, and they thought she'd also been sexually assaulted. Um, but the cause of death was actually a stab wound at the base of her skull, <gasps> which had severed her brainstem. Oh, God. She had 13 skull fractures and 331 injuries, um, and nearly half were to her head. Good and a third Lord. Were, a third of the injuries were defensive. I don't even know how you count that many head injuries. But what do you think when someone has 331 injuries? Like, what's the first thing that it's pops up? It's not into your random. Head? No, that it's got to be some kind of a personal yeah. thing. Like, that's right? not a store robbery. You don't random strangers and stab people don't 300 times. hit someone that many times yeah. that brutally, right? But there's no DNA on Jaina's body. And they also determined there were a variety of tools that have been used to create her injuries, including a hammer. Box cutters, hangers, a statue, an exacto knife, and various other implements that had been found nearby. Oh my so God. someone had seen that toolbox and had used it to create multiple injuries all over this poor woman's body. So Monday, March 14th, it was about three days after the attack on the two women, and Brittany gets released. So, and they, sorry, quick question. Does Brittany say anything about these tools? No. 
she's traumatized. She's like, I don't know what happened to Jaina. All I know is this was a brutal attack. And she's like taking advantage of the community that's got this outpouring of grief. And like, they just want to help her and find these, whoever perpetrated this. And they assume she's the, the victim. So she's released to her friends and family who support her because she's cle- clearly traumatized. And she also says that the two men knew where she lived because they'd look through her purse for valuables. And yeah, so yeah. she's that she comes to them later and says, I'm scared because they know where I live. I would be too. Because they look through my purse. Brittany's siblings follow the police out after they had been questioned. And they indicated that Brittany was pretty secretive. And they're like, something is off here. And police continue to look at the crime scene and they're stumped that there's only two sets of shoe prints. So there should have been three at least, right? Because there's two perpetrators. Right. So you should have had Brittany and then two male sets of male footprints, right? But there's only two sets of footprints. And the footprints are weird. They don't go out of the store. They never leave. They stay within the store. So where did the where did the guys go? Right? Uh-huh. Police ended up looking around the store a little bit more, and they find a pair of men's size 14 sneakers in a drawer in the back of the store. What? And the size 14 shoes that they have match the footprints. So why would there be a random pair of size 14 shoes in a drawer in the back of the store? Do they have any male employees? Very tall male employees? No. Evidently, the store manager confirmed that they kept these in the store to help customers with pants fittings, male customers. Oh, okay. So they'd come in and they wanted to see if the pants needed to be hemmed and they had the ability to measure them by letting men borrow this pair of sneakers so that they could determine how much the pants needed to be hemmed by. That's a huge pair of Which, sneakers. I mean, I guess... Why aren't they wearing like, their own sneakers? Well, they might be wearing dress shoes or something, but like... Maybe. I guess you want to just make sure it, it's an all-inclusive size so you don't have to get multiple pairs of sneakers, but that's really funny. <laughs> yeah, but evidently this meant that the footprints were likely staged. Yeah. But why and by who? So Wednesday, March 17th, Brittany agrees to give hair and fingerprints to help police. Police get her there. And basically they're trying to buy a little bit more time. And they ask her if she's ever been in Jaina's car. Okay. So clearly they have something, right? And she tells them she'd never been in Jaina's car. But then they say, hey, but, you know, we found your blood in Jaina's car. So what's going on? Yeah. And um, they also found a black hat in Jaina's car with Brittany's blood on it. So they believe right away that Brittany's involved in this in some way, shape, or form. I guess they believe that she had stabbed and her fingers had slipped Oh, which yeah. often happens mm-hmm. with a bloody knife, and that her some blood became combined with Jaina's right. because of that reason, right? So police are like, hey, so have you ever been in Jaina's car? And she's all right. like, no, I've never been in Jaina's car. Why would I be in Jaina's car? And they have clear evidence that there's like a hat and there's blood and all kinds of other stuff, right? So she comes back the next day and is like, wait, I know why you're asking me this question. I have been in Jaina's car on the night of the murder that... My attacker forced me to move the car without explanation. So evidently, when the two had gone back to the store, mm-hmm. when Brittany said she forgot her wallet, Jane was like, okay, I'll meet you back at the store. So she's thinking that they're just going to run in and grab it. So she parks in the front of the store in like a, a loading zone. Right. So she says the attackers don't want to draw attention to themselves. So they make 
Brittany go outside of the store and move the car so that it won't draw attention to them. This is something I never understand. Like, if people just say, yes, we hung out occasionally and I had been in her car. Yeah. Like, that's all, I mean, that's all you have to say. Like, Yeah, but no one believes her story. Not only because of that, well, but because you go to the car to move it and you don't try to and escape. And you don't drive away? Yeah. Why would you yeah. come back? And she says, well, the reason for that is because they know where I live and they know where my family lives. So, you know, they're going to kill me. I think she's me. giving these guys a little too much credit. Yeah, they're going to kill me if I take off. So she keeps saying they know where I live. They And then, you know, her brothers and sisters are like, eh, something's off here too. And as it turned out, um, the men that they'd seen on camera earlier were just some cooks hurrying to get to work or from work, oh. or something to that effect. And, and they had alibis and they were crossed out pretty, pretty quickly. Now everyone believes Brittany has everything to do with this crime yeah that it was just a coincidence that these people these other people the two men showed up on camera but then they start saying as well the people that were kind of witnesses to this in the apple store said they heard two women's voices arguing loudly before the screaming started so they're like what happened oh okay and they can also see now after looking at the pictures that were taken of the crime scene and of both women's injuries that Jaina's injuries were super extensive and brutal, while Brittany's are mostly superficial. Hmm. Again, dead. But she lost consciousness? I don't know that she really lost consciousness. I mean, come on. Okay. Um, Brittany claimed she got off easier because her rapist liked her or something to that effect. It was just this really obscene comment that was actually provided um, by Brittany to the police that said she was a good lay or something to that effect. And it was just gross. But oh she says God. that's the reason why her injuries are less extensive is because they enjoyed her, which is just disgusting. But a sexual assault nurse that looked Brittany over said her injuries were not consistent with what should be there for a rape. That's got to be a tough job. A, to first of all, have to, to do that examination, but yeah. then B, also to look for reasons why it might not be yeah and there's no semen like so that's a big giveaway right right um evidently neither women had been sexually assaulted okay so so there's no evidence that there was ever a man no there absolutely not and then they ask Brittany if she ever had any contact with gina after the attack started and she's like no 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 um but then Brittany comes back and is like, wait, I think I may have had contact. They put Jaina's body on top of me to mentally torture me. I may have had contact. And then she says, wait, they did. They, they put her on put top of me on top to of mentally me. torture me. That's not, I don't, why? Because there had been traces of Brittany's blood on Jaina. Like she's not, okay, okay. Yeah, so basically all Brittany's injuries by that point looked like they've been done by herself. Like she did yeah. them to herself. No lacerations at all on her clothes either. Interesting, oh, right? So she yeah. took her clothes off to lacerate herself and then pulled her clothes on because she didn't want to mm. ruin her clothes. Like, what? The and all is pretty expensive. of this seemed staged. Yeah. The bindings, the zip ties, they all had marks with her teeth and her own DNA, kind of making it very evident that she tightened them with her own teeth. Oh. And then there's that wound 
on her hand, which they initially thought was from the attack on her, maybe a defensive uh-huh. wound, but then they see it's probably from knife slippage, like we said earlier. Mm. Like her, she was stabbing, and then her hand got bloody and slipped, and she cut herself. Hmm. And then as well, remember we talked earlier about the number of the wounds, and they're like, this has got to be someone who knew her. Yeah. And who better than this person who was there with her and whose blood is on her body and who was in her car and all this kind of and stuff. And the only other person that we know was there. Yes. But yeah. why? Why in the heck yeah. would Brittany do this? Like, she seems like a normal person. She comes from a good family. She did well in school. She played soccer. She got a scholarship in college. She was voted the team MVP. She had initially wanted to be a social worker. She was studying psychology and sociology in college, but then she got kicked out for stealing from multiple people. Yo. She told her family that she graduated, but she didn't. She was kicked out before that happened. And then she also was known to have stole from family members as well and denied it. Hmm. So then by the time all this happens with the, the Lululemon attacks, she had seemed like she was getting her life together. But her family is like, eh, not so much. She was keeping secrets. Interesting. In, in 2007, she broke up with her boyfriend and then broke into his house, stealing jewelry, bank um, checks, blank checks, and keys to his car. So I'm not uh, clear whether he broke up with her or whether she broke up with him. But and in any case, she broke into this guy's house and stole some stuff. He actually filed a restraining order. And she violated yeah. it, but never got arrested because the police were busy with other criminal See, endeavors. this is why we always say restraining orders are such crap. It's yeah. just, it doesn't do anything. Yeah. And she wanted to be a personal trainer, as I mentioned earlier, and thought that, Lulu, that Lululemon was a step in the right direction. I mean, it would meet, help you meet a lot of fitness-adjacent <clears throat> people. Yeah. So it kind of looked from the outside looking in like she was getting her life together, but she really yeah. wasn't because she'd been accused of stealing again. This time from the registers. And in 2011, she was actually fired for allegedly abusing her store discount privileges, which seems like such a weird thing to fire somebody for. Maybe they couldn't prove the other stuff, but they could prove the store discount thing. How how do you abuse your store discount? I don't know. Maybe you give your, your own personal discount to other people to use and they use it instead of you. Because you're like, hey, I'm going to send my friends in and they're all going to get a 40% discount because it's my employee number and they didn't, they shouldn't. No, 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 you're not supposed to do that. But isn't that just kind of an accepted thing? It's like sharing your Netflix password. I don't know. But evidently she'd been stealing money from the registers too, but they didn't fire her for that. So maybe they couldn't prove that and they could prove the other thing. Gotcha. But she disputes her firing and gets her job back. But they're like, hey, (laughs) this is crazy. We're going to transfer you to the Bethesda store. Let them deal with your crazy butt. So, but then the Bethesda store employees now are like, wait a minute. They start seeing stuff missing and they're like, she, she, pretty soon they can see that Brittany is stealing stuff from there too. So the employees at the store have this meeting where they discuss catching her in the act so they could get her fired. Whoa. They were going to set up a camera at first, but then decide just to announce to everyone working there that a thief was around and see what happens. Right. Which seems like a weird way to go about dealing with that. Yeah. But on the night of the attack, Jaina asked to search Brittany's bag before they left. And this is store policy. I mean, I've, I have worked retail before and I do recall having this done. Um, 
bag checking, I think, is pretty common for retail types of situations, particularly when there is expensive merchandise around that can easily be pocketed, right? Yes. And Lululemon is, if you guys don't know by now, super expensive. Yeah. Yeah. It's pretty expensive, like yoga and athletic wear. Like $90 yoga pants. Yeah. Jaina finds a pair of pants in Brittany's bag without a receipt. Mm. Brittany denies stealing the pants and says she bought them earlier and specifies an employee that sold them to her as evidence, right? Jaina immediately calls the other employee who says that she had not sold Brittany the pants. So Jaina calls her boss and there are plans made to fire Brittany the next day. So I think Brittany had already left the store at that point. But Brittany calls Jaina as she's going home and Mm -hmm. she had claimed that she left her wallet, right? Okay. Authorities think Brittany had confronted Jaina and wanted to see what would happen because of the fact that she'd stolen those pants. She was like, I know you saw them. Like, what are you going to do? Kind of a thing. Yeah. Crime scene analysis showed that the attack happened initially um, in the back of the store with Brittany hitting Jaina in the back of the head with a blunt type of an object. Okay. So probably a statue or something of that nature. Uh And this then started the attack. And then not wanting to draw attention, Brittany moved Jaina's car because Jaina had parked it right in the loading zone. Right. So she's the one that moved it because she didn't want to draw attention, not some random dudes. So that part of her story was true. Yeah. So she had been the one in the car and she'd made all of the footprints and then washed both pairs of shoes to make it look like, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. And then she also arranged everything to make it look like an attack. Brittany's siblings and families absolutely shocked once police revealed their theory. But they're kind of not surprised because of, again, they mentioned their sister was super secretive and she'd had some trouble in the past. Yeah, but like that's a far cry from thinking yeah. like your sister is From a cup, stealing a couple things to yeah. murder, right? But Friday, March 18th, Brittany was arrested for murder. And this was also on the day of Gina's funeral. Whoa. And everyone is shocked and horrified when they learn what Brittany did. So initially they discuss a plea bargain to avoid a trial because Mm -hmm. trials can be very triggering for the family and Mm -hmm. and can really like make for a lot of drama and a traumatic experience that doesn't really need to happen. So they initially suggest a 15 year initial sentence before eligibility for parole. Um, But Jana's family is like, hell no. She murdered our daughter. This trial is happening. Okay. So the trial is set to begin and prosecutors realize that they will not be allowed to use the phone calls between Jaina and other employees about Brittany. So they can't use the call um, regarding the stolen merchandise. They can't use the call with other employees. They can't use any of that because it's hearsay. Oh, okay. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But the trial ends up starting October 2011 with numerous witnesses and tons of evidence. Her attorneys are looking for second-degree murder, claiming that there was a fight, that Mm -hmm. yes, she did kill her, but it was because the two women had a confrontation and a fist fight ensued, and it got out of control Mm -hmm. when Brittany was just defending herself. So they wanted second-degree murder charges Mm -hmm. and not first. But November 2011, the jury finds Brittany guilty of first-degree murder, and she gets life in prison with no possibility of parole. Um, They basically throw the book at her. Yeah. And even though she's begging for mercy, the judge is like, no way. Yeah. You are so crazy. Like, the 
the amount of lying and like the fact that you pretended like you were a victim and got all this sympathy from people like no freaking way right you were going to jail for life um she did have an appeal at one point saying that her miranda rights had been um violated which is interesting because she was initially interviewed as a victim right as a victim and not as a and you suspect. wouldn't be miranda in that situation yeah Exactly. So that allowed for them to just kick the sure. um, appeal out. So there was a stained glass window that was put up in the in Jaina's honor in the store, and it was called the Love Window, and it became a local landmark for quite a few years until December 2017 when the store located to another location, and they shipped the window to Jaina's family because they couldn't move it to the new location. Oh, wow. And Jaina's family did set up a foundation in her um, honor to provide scholarships in her name. But just a wild case from start to finish. Like, who would do that? That just seems so insane to Over, me. like, what, probably $250 of merchandise? If that. Well, and it, I mean, I guess if she was stealing over a longer period of time. It is crazy expensive, but like... The magnitude of the crime versus... I mean, just let yourself get fired and move on. It wasn't like they were threatening criminal charges against her. And they don't... But maybe she was kind of at the end of a rope. Like, she realized this is my last opportunity and what am I going to do? But, like, it's so not. I mean, like, I can say this because I have degrees in kinesiology. Like, it's not hard to be a personal trainer. Yeah. I don't know. Like, you can find places that will let you work as a personal trainer. You could start your own business and you don't have to run a background check. Like, it's not the end of the line. You know what I mean? Like, Well, clearly she didn't know that. And she went off the deep end. No offense to personal trainers. You're wonderful at your jobs. I'm just, it's not exactly medical school is what I'm saying. Yeah. Well, I think you can have a criminal record and work as yeah. a personal trainer. Uh, so, interesting case, right? Crazy. Yeah. Yeah, and again, I heard about her quite a long time ago and meant to do it, but had forgotten about it until Did I Did you hear about when it happened? I don't it. remember hearing about it when it happened. God, it was 2011. I thought it was 15. Friday, March 11th, 2011. So that was like 12, 11 years ago, something like that. I don't remember hearing about it when it first came out. I remember hearing a couple of podcasts talking about it like five or six years ago. Yeah, I only remember ever hearing about it once everything was like resolved. Yeah, but and then I heard another podcast talk about it um, a couple of weeks ago and was like, oh, yeah, I remember that one. Yeah. I want to talk about that one. It's wild. Yeah. So anything else you want to add before we wrap it up for the day? Um, I don't know. Is Lululemon even still around? <laughs> I don't know. Like well, I haven't seen one in a really long time. I never bought any Lululemon. I'm not the kind of person that would spend two hundred dollars on a pair of yoga pants. I have never purchased wear out in a couple of weeks. Lululemon. They actually are very high quality, but I've never purchased them. But I have received them as Christmas gifts. Um, but they are crazy expensive. But and they are high quality. They're very comfortable and they're very durable. But I kind of draw the um, the line at about fifty bucks for pants for myself. <laughs> I mean, athleisure wear like. If, if, if I'm spending the money, yeah. I'm not going to spend all that money on athleisure wear. Not to mention the fact that I would always wear I'm playing volleyball and I would end up with holes in the knees. And so I was like, yeah, no, I'm not going to wear expensive yeah. clothing for that because I'm going to trash it. Yeah. But there's plenty of people that like if it is just for doing yoga or like slow moving exercises or things like that, then like, yeah, it's perfect for that. 
but and it, and it does last a long time and it is very comfortable just for everyday wear i'm not gonna lie to you <laughs> anyway i have no lululemon <laughs> so no offense to anyone yeah. who does have that brand but i'm too cheap to <laughs> spend more than 50 bucks so if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. We love getting emails from you guys. And we also do post on social media. Darcy, what are we at on that one? Yeah, we are on Instagram at the BFD podcast. Well, so we'll post pictures about the case and all that good stuff on the Instagram. Yeah. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.